let's ask ourselves this particular question. What is the journey from the empty grave to the open heaven? What's the journey from the empty grave to the open heaven? Because the passage that we're going to look at right now gives us the mile markers that we can follow that get us to the point where the open heaven into which Jesus passed that stands open forever for believers. John, one of the witnesses of the ascension of Jesus, said in the last book of the Bible, I looked and there was a door set open in heaven and a voice said, come up here. As Jesus passes through the open heaven, Something will come through the opening. Not something, but someone. As Jesus sits down beside the Father, taking humanity into heaven, taking humanity into the very Godhead for the first and definitive time. As Jesus steps into that place of honor and authority, the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit through the open heaven forged for us in the life, in the death, in the resurrection, and in the ascension of Jesus. Jesus has blazed the trail. And we stand in wonder and awe and we wait with all expectant hearts for the arrival of the Spirit. What gets us from the empty tomb to the open heaven? I'm going to read to you the first 11 verses of the Acts of the apostles. Luke writes, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Lord, bless us as we hear and receive your word. So the beginning of this narrative that gets us from the empty grave to the open heaven is when the women come to the grave in the early morning. Remember, we looked at that together and the women are prepared, the women are ready, the women have serving hearts ready to do what is needed to do. And as they arrive as the first of the disciples to witness the resurrection, the stone is rolled away. And there they meet two angels. Now, I don't know whether these are the same two angels that the disciples met as they were peering into the sky, but my guess is that it may well be because they had the same job to do. They were on redirection patrol. The father obviously has angels to do different things for him and um, these guys have been preparing for a long time and um, they're called, send for the redirection patrol. The two angels are brought before the throne of the king and he sends them to do his bidding. As they stand, as the women stand before the empty grave, the angels simply ask them this question. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Jesus is no longer dead. He is alive. The women, overcome by the emotion of the moment, rush away. Now they are in many ways emblematic of the way in which you and I deal with the kind of tragedy and turmoil that all of the disciples were now very familiar with. The kinds of tragedy and turmoil that sadly far too many of us have become accustomed to witnessing in these past months. Tragedy and turmoil bring us to a place where so often we find ourselves dealing with the mechanisms inside of us that, that give us a way of responding to fear. Fight or flight. And very often, freeze. Some will fight, 
Some will run away, will fly. Many will be frozen by the experience. It's been, list- it's been interesting listening. If you put my uh, iPad up on the screen, that'd be great. It, it's been interesting listening to the many different witnesses from around the world. We have contacts all over the place. Just remarking on all that is happening in the world. 20% of London is now infected with the virus. Their new strain of virus is so virulent that it's almost impossible to contain. They've gone into the severest lockdown that any city has seen anywhere in the world, or at least anywhere in the free world. We've seen terrible scenes in our own nation. We've seen things that, quite frankly, no one ever imagined that they would see. And there are different reactions to the tragedy, to the turmoil. And what is it that God sends his angels to do? He sends his messengers to correct and redirect. You see, the fight, the flight, or the frozen reaction are not going to help us in the end. And as we traverse this journey from the empty grave to the open heaven, we're going to discover which reaction it is that God wants from us. Because it's not the fight. It's not the flight. And it's not the frozen. The angels are sent to correct the disciples and redirect them. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Later on, we know as we harmonize the Gospels, particularly John and Luke, that those reactions are still stirring. First of all, the women are corrected and redirected. And then we see the disciples on the way to Emmaus. And then the disciples, the 11 remaining of the central team of disciples in the upper room. And we're told in John 20 that the doors are locked for fear. The doors are locked for fear. John 20 verse 19. It is fear that motivates the behavior of the first disciples. And Jesus comes and stands among them. And Luke tells us in Luke chapter 24 that the fear that motivated their behavior to lock the doors and close the windows is now so prevalent within them that even in the face of the risen Lord, they can't escape the cold hand of fear. It says they were frightened because they thought 
that the only explanation for the risen Lord in their presence was that they were there with a ghost, a phantom, a specter of hell. What does Jesus do? Of course, he speaks a word to them. Be at peace. Of course, he demonstrates the veracity of his resurrection by eating food with them and among them. But he does something else as well. He does... An interesting thing, he gives them a way to understand the Bible. He opens their minds to understand the scriptures, says Luke. He opens their minds to understand the scriptures. And John says, in that same moment, in that same occasion, he breathes on them. They may be fearful, they may be afraid, but what Jesus offers is the enlightenment of the scriptures and the inspiration. Literally, Jesus breathing on them, he inspires them. As he expires, they are inspired. He inspires them. So we have, we have the tragedy and turmoil of the crucifixion, the resurrection, We see the first disciples being corrected and redirected. We see the fear and the fright. And we understand that Jesus comes to enlighten and inspire. And now the hearts of the disciples are knitted again to Jesus. And he spends 40 days with them, teaching them, encouraging them, helping them to be prepared for the day when they will launch out into the mission that he alone has carried. Now they will take the mission into the world for him. And what is it that we see? We see Jesus eating with them, perhaps on one of the very last occasions that he's there. And the disciples have had this amazing privilege of walking with Jesus through the days of his ministry and then encountering Jesus in his resurrection and then continuing to walk with him as he revealed himself to them in the 40 days of his time sharing the deep secrets of the kingdom of God. What an amazing privilege it was. And what they wanted more than anything else was more knowledge. Lord, are you at this time 
going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I wonder whether when you look at the events of this past year and as you listen to all of the, all of the manic chatter and Twitter coming to you through the social media, whether your heart is stirred towards a longing for the return of Christ. Of course, it's a natural, it's a natural desire for any believer. And that desire can, can turn into a determination to perhaps understand. And that determination to understand can foster the deeper desire to perhaps look at the details of what eschatology, the study of the last things, of what eschatology can bring to us. And Jesus listens to the question. And he understands what it is that the disciples are desirous of. And what it is that they're desirous of is the very thing that Adam and Eve were most desirous of. The thing that got us into the trouble in the first place. More knowledge. More knowledge. The end of knowledge, who knows where it is. And Jesus says, you don't need more knowledge. Listen. You don't need more knowledge. You've got more knowledge than is safe for you. You don't need more knowledge. Jesus says, actually, this whole thing about eschatology is largely irrelevant because only the Father knows. Only the Father knows. So anybody who tells you they know, well, just be kind. Just be kind. But they don't know. Only the Father knows. And it's His authority that has, that has set the dates and the timing. And so you can just relax, says Jesus, because this knowledge is not for you. You don't need more knowledge about eschatology. What you need is power for evangelism. What you need is power, not knowledge. If it was knowledge that you needed, then Jesus would have stayed with the disciples, walking with them forever. But it was power that they needed. And so he had to return to heaven and send the Spirit upon them so that they could be equipped, so that they could be filled, so that they could be empowered to do the work on his behalf. The Lord wants you to be clear today. Knowledge is not as important as power. It just isn't. It's important. 
but it's not as important. Jesus says, you're not to know that, but you will receive power. And you will be my witnesses. Now maybe the disciples are saying, yeah, but Jesus, if you could just give me, I, I keep forgetting that middle part of the Roman road. Um, and that, that thing about ABC for leading another person to, I mean, can you just, can we just go over that one more time? Can we do up and out just one more time? Can we just, because I'm not quite, I don't think I've got the middle one. If only I had just a little bit more knowledge, I would feel more confident. I'm sure of it. And Jesus says, you won't feel more confident with more knowledge. It's not what gives you confidence. More information will only lead to the desire for more information. It's like peanuts on the bar. What? Well, I'm sure you've never done this, but if ever you go into a bar, they'll put peanuts on the bar. And the idea is that the salt in the peanuts make you want to drink more. Well, that's what happens with knowledge. More information. The more information you get, it just causes you to want more. Jesus says, you don't need any more information. You need power. Because when you're confronted by the unbeliever who's lost... And alone. If your prayer can change their life, they'll be listening to whatever knowledge you might have available, however limited it is. We need power. Power is the priority. Otherwise, Jesus would have said otherwise. So Jesus says, look, I don't want you tied up in the tyranny of time. I want you delivered from that tyranny. I want you to be free to serve. He says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. I want you to wait for power. In Luke, Jesus says, until you're clothed with power from on high. I want you to be clothed, to be encased, to be completely encapsulated by the presence of the living God. That's what I want for you. And all of the knowledge is enormously important, but it's secondary to the power. Otherwise, Jesus would have said, wait in Jerusalem I'm going to send you more information. But he didn't do that. I wonder, dear Christian friend, how many times you've asked for more knowledge when Jesus is offering more power. I wonder how many times you've offered more information 
and not encouraged another to go and seek more power. Jesus makes it very clear that the thing that the disciples need as the first priority is power. And so wait. And how should we wait? Well, are we, are we waiting for something? Yes, in, in a way we are waiting for something, but, but there's an intention in the way that Jesus describes the waiting. And so it's not just kind of hanging around and waiting. It's much more like waiting on a table. So think of waiting as waiting on rather than waiting for. So how do you prepare your heart for the filling of the Holy Spirit? Paul tells us in Ephesians that we should constantly seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. Of course the Holy Spirit takes residence in our life when we come to know Jesus. We are regenerate, we're reborn, we're made anew by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. He comes to take residence. Paul knew that, Paul taught that. But he also said, you need to be filled with the Spirit. And so how do you wait to be filled? Do you just wait for, or do you wait on? The disciples decided to wait on, and the way they waited on the Spirit was that they prayed. They prayed in community. 8.30 every morning, on Zoom and here in-house, we pray every day, Monday through Friday. I know it's a crazy time because everybody's going to work at 8.30, but it's the time that I can make. I'm going to lead that time. And my suspicion is this, that more could be there than are there currently. I think more could be there. Why do I suspect that? Because I've got a little bit of a sense about how human beings work. I think more people could be available to wait on. Waiting on the Spirit in prayer because we need power to live the good news. What is it then that Jesus wants for us? He doesn't want us to be entrenched in our old model of constantly seeking more information, more knowledge, more security in the more knowledge. He wants us to be empowered. Not entrenched in our old ways. Have the old ways led many people to Christ? This last week, this last month, this last year? Maybe, maybe we need more power to do the thing that Jesus has asked us to do, to live, to live the good news. 
Will we continue to train? Of course. Will we continue to learn? Of course. Will we continue to teach one another? Of course. Do we need power first? Yes. Why do I know that? Because Jesus says so and Jesus is Lord. He's the boss. And if he says you need to wait for power, then he means it and it's important that we hear it. The disciples have made the journey from the empty grave to the open heaven and they're gawking into the sky. <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, you know, they're just, they're just like me and you, aren't they? And they, they, they see Jesus disappear in the cloud and they're kind of there and they're trying to get the last look and they say, I, what, is, that, is that Jesus still? I mean, I don't know. Can you, can, you, can you see him? Is he coming back? Is he getting bigger or is he still getting smaller? I mean, I think he may be getting bigger. No, no, that's a crow. No, that's a... Send for the redirection patrol. Yes, Lord. Weren't you the ones that went and redirected them at the, um, at the empty tomb? Yes, Lord. Okay. Go and redirect them at the open heaven. What should we say? Say, stop being stupid looking into the sky. Okay. So the angels go and they say, they say, why? Again, why? Why? Why Why are you doing this? Weren't you the ones kind of that were doing this before? Why? Why do you stand here looking into the sky? Jesus gave you something to do. And it isn't here. He said, go back to Jerusalem and wait. Wait on him. Wait on the Spirit. Get on with the task. And so, the disciples who have this enormous tendency to be frozen are now are now let me just do that and then that yes thank you very much and free what is it what is it that God wants for us? As you look at this world, as you look, as you look at the turmoil and the tragedy, as you, as you deal daily with the machinations of, of the people around you as, you, as you deal with the reactions of your friend and family, what do you need? You need the focus that only the Holy Spirit can give you. 
because the Holy Spirit causes you, as Hunter so helpfully said in the family ministry time, the Holy Spirit gives you the capacity to see the world with fresh eyes. And you can focus on what it is that Jesus wants you to do rather than all the things that the world is doing. Jesus wants you focused. And Jesus, in the same breath, wants to fill you with the capacity not only to see anew, but to do, to do new things, to be free from the shackles of your past expectations and your past experience. Wouldn't it be a great thing if you expected pre-Christians to come to know Jesus? Wouldn't it be a great thing if you expected the sick to be healed? Wouldn't it be a great thing if you expected the demonized to be delivered, the dead to be raised, the lepers to be cleansed? Wouldn't that be a good thing? Wouldn't it be marvelous if the Spirit fills us so that we can absolutely focus and be free rather than frozen? Wouldn't it be marvelous if in our focus and in our freedom we had the capacity to show others who are simply caught in the mechanisms of fight or flight? Wouldn't it be marvelous if we showed the world another way of living, another way of being, another way of engaging with the world, another way of changing the world? Jesus says what you need to be the instruments of change in the world is the power of the Spirit. And he will give you the capacity. He will give you the clarity. He will give you the confidence and the courage to see the change. Or you could stick with what you have. You could look to just gain a little bit more insight in what you already have insight about. You could get more information about the things that you've already got quite a bit of information about. Do you see how Jesus is wanting to prepare the hearts of his disciples? He's wanting them to lean in and to long for the thing that they most need. And it's power. Let's pray. And as we pray, let's just wait for a moment. As we wait, let's allow the Lord to call from our hearts a desire to be filled with the Spirit. To be living the good news. 
Let's ask the Lord to take us from being entrenched in the ways that we already know to be empowered to do things that we've never done. Is this the year that you're going to lead someone to Christ? Is this the year that you're going to see a family baptized? Is this the year that you're going to pray and see the sick healed? Is this the year that you'll see demons flee just at the mention of the Lord's name?